0: It's just, Rod, a quick introduction here to let you know that as part of this podcast episode, there is a reflective practice called Lectio Divina, and that practice involves long gaps, silent spaces, and this time I've just left them in rather than cutting them out, so just so you're prepared for that, you can obviously fast forward if you want to, or you can just do the practice as we did it on Sunday. Um, okay. I'll hand over to myself. Hope you're well. Good morning. Uh, My name's Rod. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, I'll add my welcome to the welcome of Josh and Stu. My job this morning is just very quickly to introduce uh, a practice that Tamsin is going to take us through. Because we thought looking at the Bible and looking at the Bible through a Christian mystical lens, it might be useful just to quickly revisit the way that we see the Bible in this community, because that is also a strand of the way that we do things and the way that we see things in this community. Uh, So this series that we're doing is looking at all the strands and traditions that make up who we are as a community, to introduce you to some of them to name them, and to do some practices from those traditions. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, um, but I just wanted quickly to revisit a, a very long series that we did on reading the Bible, which I think was in 2018, which is actually five years ago. I don't know who was there. Hands up if you were here in 2018. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. Um, And in that series, we did a survey of people to see what their kind of feelings and what kind of relationship they had with the Bible, and what dominated was fear. The thing thing that really came through loud and clear in people's responses to that survey and their relationship with the Bible was a sense of being afraid of what this collection of books tells them about God and themselves. Kind of dominant um, sense was the Bible as God's megaphone. So it's this thing which shouts instructions at you, and you just have to do what those instructions say, uh, and if you don't, you're in trouble. Which kind of relates a little bit to the metaphor that we've been using. As the overarching metaphor for this series, which is building a community or doing Christianity as a (laughs) monocrop versus doing it as a garden. Uh, We talked a few weeks ago about how, with a monocrop like wheat, which we have on the screen for those listening to the podcast, you plant it anywhere, everything that is already there in that location is just a weed or a pest to be gotten rid of. And you might destroy the soil and have to move on, but so be it. And if you work for the kind of company that creates, like, soy or wheat monocrops, then you're a franchisee, and you'll get very clear instructions from head office as to what you are meant to do every step of the way. And if you diverge from those steps, then you're in trouble. And if your crop fails, then that's on you because you didn't follow the instructions well enough. So that is the kind of dominant view of the Bible that a lot of us grew up with, uh, yeah, as God's megaphone. And in that series that we did in 2018, uh, we, we tried to kind of deconstruct that or unpick that and to, to look carefully at what the Bible tells us itself about how to read it and how to use it. Um, And I think that relates to how you build a a cabbage-dense garden (laughs) like this. So the other part of our metaphor is that instead of a monocrop, what we want to see ourselves as in this community is a very diverse garden, spiritual garden, where we go into the location, we see what grows there already, So we look at the Indigenous spirituality of a place. And then if we introduce new things to our garden, then they are things that live in harmony with what's already there and that are in tune with the very particular place and climate and soil of that location. So that's the vision that we have for this series. talking about what are the plants in our garden and um, where do they come from, How do we know that they are growing in harmony with the other things in that garden? And I think there is a view of the Bible that sits behind that metaphor and it's a view of of the Bible as showing us a long series of conversations, different communities in different places, having an encounter with God and then trying to make sense of that encounter with the stories that they are drawing from in the past in their own community, looking at the stories of surrounding cultures, and creating a, a conversation to say, what, what do the stories that we've inherited, what do the stories around us, thinking of them as like plants, what can we draw on and adapt and plant at this time and in this place that will flourish and will nourish us. And in the Bible, there were lots of very strong disagreements at different times, and we see them flowing through the Hebrew Scriptures, disagreements about who God is, what God wants you to plant, how God wants you to tend your garden. There's lots of lots of very strong conversations. A lot of us were brought up with this sense that the Bible says one thing But that's just, if you look at the Bible closely, that's just not the case. It's a conversation of many, many voices, often in disagreement. I've heard it described almost like like the scientific method of people experimenting and refining stories, refining stories to see if they can make them, plant them in a place and see them flourish. So what we know... From gardening and what we see in Scripture is that it's a messy process. It's a messy process of experimentation, of trying things, of seeing what flourishes and seeing what doesn't. And if you look at the way Scripture works, it is really a kind of three steps forward, two steps back, lurching to the left, lurching to the right, as the Hebrew people feel their way towards the face of God. And that can be really unsettling. There's a reason why we like the Bible as a megaphone, because it's really clear. And it can be quite unsettling to go, this is a slow, experimental process of trying to discern in this time and this place what God might be saying to us. Never being sure, always revisiting that and refining that. But I guess the two things that that can comfort us is the trust that in everything, through everything and from the future luring us forward, there is a God of love in the process. That's what we've come to understand as the idea of inspiration in the Bible. It's not God dictating through God's megaphone, but it's God in and through and under and in front of this whole process, calling it forward towards goodness and truth. And beauty. And the other thing that we comfort ourselves with is that it's not an individual process, it's not just me trying to work out what God's trying to say in a particular situation, but it's all of us together seeking to find the face of God, to discern what God is saying. Um, In a profound act of narcissism in this series, I... uh, oh yeah, this is a beautiful quote from Peter Enns, who's a a biblical scholar in the States, talking about the fact that in the Bible, we see God letting God's people tell God's story. It's it's a summary of my ramble. (laughs) God letting God's people tell God's story. And if God does that, sitting in the process, but not dictating the process, it's going to be messy. Um, So, in our Bible series, I came up with the Begbian hexilateral, there's a, uh, there's a Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is this model of how you discern, how you find the face of God, how you, fo- how you discern what God is saying, which is reason, experience, tradition, and Scripture. So, it's this idea, if you don't just, it's not like Scripture just tells you what to do. Scripture is one part of the equation, but for Wesley, it's also looking to our tradition, or I would say traditions. It's, using our reason, and this is the mystical part, trusting our experience as well as part of that conversation. Um, but in an s- incredible act of arrogance, I decided that Wesley needed to add a couple of extra things, and that was community, that if you, if you see this as an individual process, you're going to get it wrong. That um, It's one of the dangers of, you know, in... in Hebrew scriptures, things being called Isaiah, for example, when Isaiah was actually a community of people. There's many Isaiahs, and uh, so thinking of books as coming from a community rather than an individual is really helpful when you're reading Hebrew scriptures. It's the same with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't don't think of them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Think of them as Matthew's community, Mark's community, John's community, and Luke's community, because that's how it actually worked. So you need community... And hey there, me again. Um, At this point, I forgot what the sixth thing in the hexalateral was, but it's just the mystical. Yeah, yeah, no. It's that simple. Maybe, maybe so, is in yeah, i cutting God, it again to know. let <laughs> you know, and everyone that was there, that that's, that was the missing sixth part of the Begbian hexalateral so, yeah, mystical experience. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, back to me as I found my path again. And just before I hand over to to Tamsin, if you want to see a case study of how this practice works, look at Acts 10 to 15. There you see this incredibly long process of the Holy Spirit leading a Jewish church into the drawing of of the Gentiles, into the Christ community. It starts with a mystical experience, it starts with Peter having a vision that the things that were supposedly unclean were no longer unclean, and then it ends with a church council saying to the Gentiles, you don't need to get circumcised, don't worry, you just need to... um, don't eat food with blood in it and abstain from sexual immorality. Those are the two things, yeah. So it's this beautiful process of discernment, using all of these things in community in tune with the Holy Spirit to work out how to step forward. Um, So hopefully that gives you a bit of a context for why we, as a community, open to communal practices of reading Scripture and doing them in a way where we're drawing on the whole of ourselves, drawing on our reason, drawing on our own experience of God, drawing on the tradition that we know in community, To discern the face of God. And remembering that with any garden, in the end, it's about the fruit that you produce. Discerning, in this garden that we're creating together, what's the fruit? And is that fruit that is good to eat? Is that fruit that is nourishing or not? I know I grew up in a church where I was constantly encountering bad fruit and being told... Don't worry about it. As long as you've got the truth, it doesn't matter what the fruit looks like. That's probably just your sinful nature distorting your perception. Um, But yeah, in the end, if if you're trying to create a beautiful garden, you've got to trust the fruit and look to the fruit. Blessed be the fruit. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Tamsin to take us through a practice. Uh,
1: Good morning, my name's Tamsin, my pronouns are she and her, and I realise we've got lots of great active kids today, so we'll, we won't go too long. Um, but part of this series, um, in talking about traditions, we wanted to talk about, not actually just talk about them, was play with the practices coming out of these traditions to see how does this very old tradition, Christian tradition impact our collective practice that we have discerned to be life-giving in that image of a garden, what has proven to be life-giving in the garden, um, and out of last week we talked about the mystics, the wonderful Christian mystics who've got a long history, and we connect with that in various ways in our practice now. But one practice that comes out is something called lectio divina, which the words just is literally means um, divine reading, and it it has some very old roots in the Jewish practice. Um, there's a, a term called the Haggadah, which is a, a, a text read every Passover um, that a Jewish person would be reading in the middle of, again, in the middle of their community, but not just reading conceptually, but reading to encounter, again, in a living way. So kind of this life, God-breathed encounter with the text, Uh through practices, through what does, how does my body react to the actual retelling and story. Um, So in the midst of the medieval um, kind of monastic tradition, there was a a monk called Guigo, and besides just having a great name, (laughs) he was also very deeply sort of thoughtful and reflective, and he is the one who came up with this sort of practice of four parts to the Lectio Divina or sacred divine reading of a text. So this is his, just quickly, um, here's how he came up with this idea. Again, that we might not all adopt or believe, but once, imagine I'm Guigo. <laughs> One day I was busy working with my hands. I began to think about our spiritual work and all at once four stages in spiritual exercise came into my mind. Reading, Meditation, prayer, and contemplation. These make a ladder for monks, by which they are lifted up from earth to heaven. It has few rungs, yet its length is immense and wonderful. For its lower end rests upon the earth, but its top pierces the clouds and touches heavenly secrets. I do love the recollection of a mystic's moment. Um... Now, we might not have a worldview of us plebs down here reaching up towards some divinely, kind of piercing our head through the clouds to see God. Um, But this practice has this idea behind it that the God that imbues all things can be encountered in a living experience again and again with a scripture. Um, There's a wonderful teacher called James Finley. If you're into The Mystics or curious, he's got a podcast called, oh, what's his podcast called, uh, Turning to the Mystics, and he goes through all these, it's a lovely podcast if you are interested, um, but he sort of talks about it, that uh, that r- this is a reading that turns you, your intention to the presence of God, underlying all of the words that have been given to us in our sacred text, that we sit in prayer and renew our faith, and trust that God encounters us afresh. Um, so, what is Lectio Divina, you might ask? So, it's a four, it's a four readings of the same text, um, each with a slightly different intent or reflection after it. Um, and today, I've chosen a psalm. Um, so, it doesn't have any, hopefully, too complicated theolo- theological things to get your head around or really challenging, obscure things to tr- confront you. Um, and it's a, a psalm of David, from the wilderness crying out to encounter God from the wilderness. Um, so it's a psalm of solidarity rather than of grief. It's sort of this, this longing, a psalm of longing. Um, oops, still got, sorry, I've still got the fruit above my head. Um, so the first reading in a practice um, would be just simply meeting the text afresh. Uh, it's letting the text move as it pleases. Our practice of "I notice," if you 've been here for a while, we usually when we read scripture we, we let have a time of what do I notice about this scripture, just not too deep, but just a, a first off fresh encounter of what do I notice as I read this, which word stood out um, it's a it's a gift of meeting something new and no, don 't let it get more complicated than that. Just let the text you meet the text um, and so that's the first one, Lectio, meaning reading. The next reading after it, it's it's called Discursive Meditation, which is sort of a living discussion, trusting that behind is this divine, not a God here, but a God between and beneath, and that that God is somehow making this text alive. And so we look at words that stand out um, uh and we visualise with our body what it would be like to to feast or to weep or to wail and trust that in that response is this conversation with God waking up some words in front of you. So not meditation as kind of quiet contemplation, but more um, discussion with the divine, using your imagination to encounter um, so we would probably say, I wonder, in our practice, we would use that word, one, living wonderings and trusting that God is moving in that. Um, so per, and to so be very personal, kind of get creative. Um, imagine yourself with David in the desert, longing or crying out or kind of be as wonderfully eclectic sort of to free it all up is in this meditate. this kind of with God I meditate and together we are curious together. The third would be a sort of a response. This uh, oratio is a response. And that's your returning as we read it in a form. You might say a prayer in your mind. You might um, write it. There's some little pieces of paper. um, And that's a prayer that's followed by a response from you to the divine in some capacity. And finally, the last reading is a quieting. It's a contemplative one. And afterwards, the challenge is to turn your, your mind back to quiet and just let it be and trust that the grace-filled or the love-filled space is enough. It doesn't need to be turned on anymore. It doesn't need to be um, thought on. All that follows the last reading is a resting in the grace and love of God. And that's the mystic mystical journey, essentially, is moving through these paths that at the end of the day, all that's left to do is be in the presence of the divine that saturates your very being um so that's lots of words which we don't really want to do, so you're welcome to listen to the the psalm with your eyes closed if you'd like to just hear it, you're welcome to read it it will be on the on a powerpoint um so I'll read it once and and um after this first reading, we'll have a, little, a few little uh, minutes of quiet where we just let it sink in. Is that okay? Let's do the first part of our Lectio together. You're welcome to shut your eyes now if you'd like. So Psalm 63, 1-7, written by when David was in the Judean wilderness. Yahweh, my God. You are the one I seek. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look to you in the sanctuary and see your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And so I bless you while I live. In your name I lift up my hands. My soul will be sated as with a sumptuous feast and with euphoric cries I will praise you. I will remember you when I'm in bed. Through sleepless nights I meditate on you because you are my help and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Let's just hold that for a moment. So, if that reading was me to God, this next reading will be followed by how is God reaching back to me? How is this becoming alive? How can I play with this in partnership with God? So, I'm going to read it again, which is our meditation, imagining the divine with you in this reading Yahweh, my God, you are the one I seek. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look to you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And so I bless you while I live. In your name I lift up my hands. My soul will be sated as with a sumptuous feast And with euphoric cries, I will praise you. I will remember you when I'm in bed. Through sleepless nights, I meditate on you. Because you are my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. That reading was an encounter of God meeting us. This next reading, I encourage you to form a response, an original response for yourself, just like um, David is crying out for himself. Um, In whatever way, you're welcome to scribble that down on a piece of paper if you like. So you're welcome to use this as your own response in the form of a prayer as well. Yahweh, my God, you are the one I seek. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look to you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And so I bless you while I live. In your name, I lift up my hands. My soul will be sated as with a sumptuous feast, And with euphoric cries, I will praise you. I will remember you when I'm in bed. Through sleepless nights, I meditate on you. Because you are my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. in our last reading today, the task of Lectio would be just to rest, quietening your mind, to be at peace with the love that surrounds you, gazing on God in a loving gaze, or simply gazing at one another. You're more than welcome to turn this into a communal encounter. So I'll read it the last time. Yahweh, my God, you are the one I seek My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in this dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look to you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And so I bless you while I live, in your name I lift up my hands. My soul will be sated as with a sumptuous feast, and with euphoric cries I will praise you. I'll remember you when I'm in bed through sleepless nights I meditate on you because you are my help and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Amen. The um, James Finley talks about this practice in a in this tradition that might not be your tradition, that might not be your living practice now, but um, it's kind of seeing it as a, a kind rendezvous with the divine. I kind of like that. That it's just coming at scripture rather than <laughs> what does it mean. But it's this kind of kind rendezvous with. The Divine and Scripture is one way nature is another that um, we find an encounter of some form of the divine um, and if you 're not the Bible reading type you just had you've just read a text four times, so that kind of means you don 't have to read something for ages now you just you can tick that off your list for the new year. Um, thank you for being with us in a quite in a reading of scripture. Um, we are now going to um, Conclude our time together, but have some food, have some morning tea. Um, I've heard that some pin is it pin is it correct, Donna? Pinwheels have been baked, which is always delicious. So many thanks. Um, if you would like to stay, so we're not taking communion. We usually have communion, but today, once a month, we take communion in the form of a, a real meal together. We can. Um, we can be sated as with a sumptuous feast, to put it in the psalmist's words. Um, if you'd like to pop down to the shops and bring something back, brave the heat, you're more than welcome. Um, but I will say a, um, a prayer over our food. Um, you're more than welcome to stay or not. Um, thank you for braving the heat to be with us today. Um, I appreciate your company. Um, thank you, Lord, for our time together. Um, and we trust that you are the living breath and life breath flowing between us at all times um, and we are glad we get to encounter that every so often, um, sometimes in the face of one another. Um, Please be with us as we eat this food um, and we are grateful for uh, the hands that have made this food for us. Amen. Amen.